The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for His kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit ShadyGrovePCA.org. Let's hear God's word this morning from Psalm 146, verses 1 to 10. Praise the Lord, or more accurately, hallelujah, hallelujah, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. It is important for us to think about praising the Lord. And that's why we're reviewing this this summer, just going back to the very basics of the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. You know, what's the chief end of man? And it's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And when we praise God corporately or when we praise God individually, we could call that either prayer or worship. But when we praise God to one another in conversation. We call that fellowship. Fellowship is really when we're hearing about what God's doing in other people's lives and they're testifying. You know, I called Chris Marcantonio yesterday just to encourage him and I just left the phone call so encouraged by him and his faith and he needs our prayers. But I just love the one thing he said to me. Charlie, my money my money is on the one from Nazareth. My money's on the one from Nazareth. You know, like I, I am trusting that horse to win the race, you know? My money is on the one from Nazareth. He is trusting in Jesus. And that just did my heart good to hear that. You see, that's praise to one another. That's fellowship. When we praise to, and give praise to those who aren't unbelievers, we call that evangelism. But all of life is about praising God. It's just the context of who we've given the praises to. And this is a good reminder of where we need to sink our hearts this summer. Maybe you've heard this missionary expression before, and maybe you guys can test this out when you get down to Honduras, but I don't know if you've ever heard, there's three words that are universal in every language, and the words are amen, hallelujah, and Coca-Cola. <laughs> and you guys can try that. Um, We're not going to focus on Coca-Cola. We're going to focus on hallelujah this morning. And it's just this Hebrew word that means praise Yahweh or praise Yah, praise, praise the Lord. And what we notice about these last Psalms from Psalm 146 through the rest through Psalm 150, they both are bookend Psalms. They begin and end how? Praise the Lord. And they end with praise the Lord. Psalm 147, 148, 149, and then 150 is just praise, praise the Lord. Every sentence is about praising the Lord. And the very last word of the Psalms is what? 
Hallelujah. And how did the Psalms begin? What's the very first word of the Psalter? A share. Blessed. Happy. Happy. It begins with happy and ends with hallelujah. That's important. You have the last happy of this verse in this psalm. The last asher is verse 5, which we get this word happy. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord is God. That's the last Asher, there's 26 of them throughout the Psalter, but you get the last one. So it begins with happy, ends with hallelujah, and in the middle of the Psalms is there's tension, and we'll talk a little bit about that as we go. But I would just say to us this morning, as we think about hallelujah, I think we often use the term in a funny or sarcastic way. Maybe we don't necessarily, or maybe we mean what we're saying, maybe we don't. But it's kind of like when you find that last parking spot and you're pulling in and someone just happens to be leaving and you're like, hallelujah, you know? And, you know, you're going through the checkout line and then all of a sudden this new register pops open and says, uh, we'll serve you right over here. And all of a sudden, you know, you're way down deep and now you're the first in line and you're like, hallelujah. And, you know, we, we use hallelujah like when, when the cards align or the stars align or everything kind of works out and we say, hallelujah. That's not what the psalmist has in mind, okay, when he's saying that. He has something much deeper in mind than that. And of course, we can give thanks for all things, but what about when the line stops? You know, I always seem to find the line that it looked like the shortest, and then, you know, we, you know they call a manager over, and now, you know, it's like, you're looking around like, how did I get stuck here of all places? Well, can you give God praise in that? I think also... I think if you ask the world, what does hallelujah mean? They probably think of that deep moving spiritual movie called Shrek, where the movie Hallelujah, or the song Hallelujah was introduced, and it's a very popular song, and it sounds great. And then you listen to the lyrics, which I had never really listened to. And the lyrics are terrible. Have you ever listened to the lyrics? Here's the lyrics from one of the verses from hallelujah. Well, maybe there's a God above. As for me, all I've, ever, all I've ever learned from love is how to shoot somebody who outdrew you. But it's not a crime that you're here tonight. It's not some pilgrim who claims to have seen the light. No, it's a cold and very broken hallelujah. 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 Is that a heart filled with hope and help in the Lord? Is that, is that an asher? Does that sound like happiness to you? You see, the real meaning of this, this hallelujah is much deeper than that. So we've kind of considered the context already. I want to look at the commands, the choice, and the contrast. The context, of course, is, is the, the Psalms themselves. I think it's important for us to remember there are five books of the Psalms. And this one guy that I'm reading, Robert Godfrey, was a professor at Westminster Seminary, he actually believes that the last five psalms are taking the first five books and summarizing them. So he actually makes an argument that Psalm 146 is a hallelujah psalm to Psalm 1 to 41, and that 147 is a hallelujah psalm from 42 to 72, and then 148 is 73 to 89, and then, you know, so one is 90 to 105, and then, you know, 106 or 107 to the end. So you have these five books of the Psalms, and that, I, I, 
feels like he might be reaching a little bit. I'm not sure if that's... But, but I think the point to us, for us to see, is that the Psalms have a direction and flow. And they were chronicled intentionally for us to get the flow and the rhythm of the Christian life. Isn't this not what we'll be doing for all eternity? It's what we should be doing now. But what we see in the Psalms is there's tension. And the Psalms begin with, you have an introduction psalm and about happy, but then we're, we're introduced to the wicked in Psalm 1. And then Psalm 2 begins with, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain and the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Christ and they say, let's burst their bonds apart from us, cast their cords away from us, and we're seeing it this month. I mean, I went away for two weeks and I came back and I'm like, man, the evangelism and the the gospel being preached at us of the transgender lifestyle is just, it is everywhere. You can't go to any store, any scroll through advertisements. It is just, the evangelism is, is intense right now. And, but it is a bursting the bonds apart and casting cords away from us that we don't want God's design. We want our own. And that's hard for us as the people of God. And so what we're seeing is the Psalms deal with this tension. Why, Lord, why do the nations rage? Why are they plotting in vain? But by the end of the Psalms, we've reached a crescendo. We've reached a finality. We've reached a, a hallelujah chorus. It's like the fireworks show has reached its grand finale. And what Mark Furtado, who has written this book on the Psalms, says it's clear, at least in a general way, that the Psalms have been arranged in a purposeful order. There's movement from the beginning of the book to the end, a movement from the songs of lamentation to songs of praise, from chords of suffering to the chorus of glory. And so here you have this, you know, finality. And it's kind of like, you know, if you go to a concert, there's usually an encore. And, you know, Kim and I were on this ship we had these incredible shows every night, and they bring in these, you know, big-name people, people I hadn't heard of, but, you know, this one lady that, she came from Vegas, and she was doing a Whitney Houston tribute, and she was amazing. And, you're, you know, you have this concert, concert ends, she walks off the stage, and Kim's like, that's it? And, I, and there was like, no way that is it, honey. I Will Always Love You has not been sung. And you do not do a Whitney Houston tribute concert if we have not heard I Will Always Love You. Like, if we're not going to hear that Dolly Parton song, this thing is not going to work. So well, let's wait. And sure enough, she came back out, and she nailed it. And she sang I Will Always Love You, and it was incredible. The thrill of the audience, the crescendo, right? But in reality, that's kind of a nice segue to the main point of the song, is that Whitney Houston can't always love you. Because what's the contrast to this whole song? Is put not your trust in princes, in the Son of Man. Why? His breath departs, he returns to the earth. We're finite. Everything about us. And the whole point of this psalm is to remind us God reigns forever. He keeps covenant. He keeps faithfulness forever because he lives forever. He's the one who will always love you. And he can truly sing that in a way that Whitney could never sing it. He loves his church. He keeps his covenant forever. And so what we're seeing here is, is actually a play on words from the very beginning of creation. God makes man, Adam, who comes from 
And, and the, the Hebrew word for man is just Adam, Adam. And the Hebrew word for ground is Adama. So you come from Adam and you're going to return to the Adama. You come from, from, man comes from the ground and he returns to the ground. And that's the, the idea here is that his breath departs. He returns to the Adama. Adam returns to Adama. And, and the idea is that we're going to die. We are, we are finite creatures. But what the psalmist is making clear is that I'm going to praise the Lord as long as I live. I'm going to sing praises to God while I have my being. There's only a, we only get one life, folks. As much as we want to go right now to the cinema and we want to watch the Spidey movie and we want to watch the Flash movie, and man, bless you, Alex, my brother, sneezing for the Lord, man. Give praise to God. You got one life, man. Make it happen. Amen. <laughs> bless you. So, you know, you want to go to these movies, you like watching the multiverse, right? You, you get introduced in Spider-Man and, you know, Andrew Garfield pops out of nowhere. He hasn't been around in years, you know, and you love it, right? You love the multiverse. But in the reality, in the real universe you live, like there were many times on this trip, I said a couple times to Kim, my dad would have loved this, but he's not coming back. I'll see him again, but he's not coming back. There's no multiverse where he's going to pop in again. That's nice in the movies, but you have one life, folks, one chance to get the big rock in, and it's a universal command. Hallelujah. It's a, it's a praise. So you have these commands. Praise the Lord, and then put not your trust in princes. Those are the, those are the commands of the text, but then you have a choice, and the choice is the psalmist, verse 2. He makes a choice. It's a declaration. It's a resolve. Seven personal pronouns. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I'll have my being. It's very personal. Oh, my soul. He's calling his whole body, his nephesh, his, his being to praise the Lord. And he's being very specific of how to do it. We sing. Spurgeon just says in the treasury of David, oh, for a heart full of joyful gratitude that we may run and leap and glorify God even as these psalms do. We've got one life to live and let's make the most of it. And so that leads us to the command because the temptation is to trust in princes. And it's a good reminder for us to hear you read this, don't trust in princes. And you might be thinking Prince William or Prince Harry. And hallelujah, and sarcastically, that we don't put our trust in, in Harry or William because there's not a whole lot to be trusting in. But prince is just a metaphor for the powerful, the influential, the ones that we were tempted to think, through them will come our salvation. Robert Godfrey, on his book on learning, learning to love the Psalms, he just put it like this. Most people look to the powers of this world as the source of justice, food, liberty, and encouragement. But princes can't give salvation. They will not live forever. Their plans inevitably fail. We can't even do this or that if the Lord doesn't will. And we make all these plans, and the Lord says, all such boasting is arrogance. We don't even know what t t tomorrow has. So we can't, well, we're tempted to just say, man, if I just had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, then I'd have help and hope. If I just had a spouse, then I would have help and hope. If I just had a child, I would have help and hope. If I just had a new boss, then I would have help and hope. If these, 
a bunch of young families would just come and join our church, then we'd have help and hope. If a, if a big bumper crop of deacons and elders would raise up, then we'd have help and hope. If, if, if Tim Keller was just still alive, then we'd have help and hope. Or, you know, or, you know, wait till pastor gets back, then we'll have help and hope. Are you kidding? I mean, the text is saying, don't put your hope in your pastor, he's going to fail you. Don't put your help in, in, you know, anything in man that you think is going to save you and deliver you. And I don't want to make light of, like, God does restore fortunes. And those that want to be married, that's a legitimate desire. And those that want to have children, that's a legitimate desire. And those that need a new boss, that's a legitimate desire. And we pray about those things. Those are real. I don't want to, don't make light of those because God does restore. But what the psalmist is getting at is he's given us the bigger perspective. Put the big rock in first. The big rock is I'm going to praise God whatever comes my way. Through thick and thin, good times and bad, whatever comes, may God get the praise. Whether it's in abundance or lack, my compass is set on him and he's going to get the praise and he's going to get the glory and the song. And, and I love that this psalm is not in a context of like David's just killed Goliath and now he's writing this psalm. I mean, those psalms are great too, but if you think about it, there's a flow to these psalms and a good argument could be made that these psalms were added last and they were added post-exilic, probably when the people of God had, been come, back, had come back from exile and and you think about it, they're, they're, and he's saying, praise God. I mean, the temple is now really small, not near as impressive as the former glory. There's no recorded miracles during that time. Very few prophets are speaking. The Messiah hasn't come. It's just a small remnant of people, and they're saying, let's praise the Lord with all my being. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Really? Yeah, praise him. Men can't bring salvation, and it's a good thing to, to arrive at that early in life. When you think of reading Jonathan Edwards' biography by George Marsden, and he talks about revival coming to Northampton, 1734. This is April in 1734. Edwards has been preaching for quite a while, and he says things came to a dramatic turning point. There happened, Edwards reported, a very sudden and awful death of a young man in the bloom of his youth, who being violently seized with a pleurisy and taken immediately very delirious, died in about two days, which together with what he had preached publicly on that occasion, much affected many young people. Edwards' whole life had prepared him to seize this moment. Having been twice himself on the verge of death, he had spent much of his own youth reflecting on the folly of loving earthly pleasure when on the brink of eternity. He preached to the stricken mourners on Psalm 90, verse 5 and 6. In the morning, they're like grass which grows up. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up. In the evening, it's cut down and withers. And then he goes on and says, at the same time, the young people were then stricken by the death of the, another of their number this time a married young woman. At the outset of her illness, she had been much distressed over the state of her soul, but by the time of her death, she seemed to have satisfying evidences of God's saving mercy, so that she died very full of comfort in a most earnest and moving manner, warming and counseling others. In June, perhaps for this occasion, Edwards composed another funeral sermon that contrasted the dol doleful lamentation of April, this one extolling the joys and comforts one could take in the death of a saint. 
And so these very two young people that God took out very early in life led to revival that came down on on Northampton. You see, in contrast, the people in in Northampton realize they can't put their trust in people because their, their life is fleeting. And we get to this verse five and we have Asher, happy, happy is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. And as I said, this is the last of the 26 Ashers in the Psalms. And I, you know, I think, you think of today, I'm sure many of you have heard the song Because I'm Happy by Pharrell Williams. Love, I love the song, a very catchy uh, song, heard it on the cruise. Uh, clap along if you feel like a room without a roof because I'm happy. Clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth because I'm happy. Clap along if you know what happiness is to you because I'm happy. Clap along if you feel like that's what you want to do because I'm happy, right? It's a catchy song, but we're never told in the whole psalm why or what will make us happy. Happiness is never grounded, and it's incredibly fleeting. It's just a song because I'm happy, but in reality, so many people are not happy. But this psalmist is grounded. He's giving us grounds to be happy. It's a great verse to memorize. Happy is he whose help is in the God of Jacob whose hope is in the Lord his God. And isn't it amazing he refers to himself as the God of Jacob? I mean, think about it. He doesn't say he's the God of David, handsome, strong, you know. He's the God of Jacob. Jacob? Uh, Name means usurper, heel grabber, deceiver, uh, not impressive, not known for being wise, not known for being strong, known for being a mama's boy, known for being a wimp and a deceiver. You're telling me that's who God loves? Yep. He's called you worm Jacob, and it refers to all of Israel. And that's who God loves because God is faithful to his promises. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He loves Jacob. He said that, that gives hope to us because there's not too many Davids here among us, but there's a lot of Jacobs, and I'm one of them. You see, and that gives us something that we can be happy about. And this word happy, listen to Mark Furtado again from his commentary. He says, this word means, it's a picture of blessedness. Asher means the opposite of perishing. It's the same thing as happiness, but in a deep, profound sense of well-being in every area of our lives. Blessedness is what God created us for. Blessedness is what God has redeemed us for. Blessedness is what God is in the process of sanctifying us for. And blessedness is what he will glorify us for. It's all about Asher. And so the beginning of the psalm begins with Asher and ends with hallelujah. That's going to be glory in heaven. It's going to be our story. And it should be our story now. And the last thing we want is to be one of these people to be around that's just a, a stick in the mud. I came across this quote from John Steinbeck, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with him, but he wrote this book called Travels with Charlie. And in 1960, John Steinbeck went on this trip around the U.S., and he's writing about, you know, America, and it's this vintage book about describing America, and he takes his dog, the standard poodle name, Charlie. Everybody names their dog Charlie. I don't know why, but they do, and I've come to learn that. And uh, so he starts in New York, he goes up to Maine, then he goes all the way to the West Coast. When he gets to Bangor, Maine, he meets this waitress, 
And there's this famous paragraph in Travels with Charlie, and this is what, how he describes her. Strange how one person can saturate a room with vitality, with excitement. Then there are others, and this dame was one of them, who can drain off energy and joy, can suck pleasure dry, and get no sustenance from her. Such people spread grayness in the air about them. I've been driving a long time, and my, perhaps my energy was low and my resistance down, but she got me. I got so blue and miserable, I wanted to crawl into a plastic cover and die. What a date she must be. I tried to imagine that last and couldn't. For a moment, I considered giving her a $5 tip, but I knew what would happen. She wouldn't be glad. She would just think I was crazy. We ex Kim and I experienced this after our trip, and we're getting back on the plane, and somebody's in line, and they have experienced a cruise in Alaska. And she's complaining about every possible thing. And it was just so bad that Kim was like, come on, like, we have got to get away from this person because she was just sucking the air out of the room. That is the last thing we want to be as the people of God, okay? We want to be people that can clap along and, and, you know, feel like there's a room without a roof, but we have a grounded reason why we can be happy. And the answer lies in the past, the present, and the future. Look at the text again. The past, who's our help? Well, it's the one who made heaven and earth, the sea, and, and, and all that's in them. We actually saw whale spouts, three of them coming out of the water. We, we didn't see them coming out. Others paid the big money and went out and saw the incredible whales, and we saw great whale pictures. But God made these things. We had this one evening, Kim and I. I'll just tell you a moment, just real briefly, about Alaska, all right? One, Kim said, don't make this sermon an Alaska sermon. <laughs> she knew I just wanted to talk about Alaska, but I will just tell you. A few things came together providentially that were almost hilarious, how beautiful they were. Our first night to supper, we come onto the boat. I mean, we're coming into the dining room, and we kept walking, 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 all the way to the front of the boat, and over to the window seats. Only few people get the window seats. But we had the very two window seats at the front of the ship, and they have like king and queen chairs for the people that are sitting next to the window. And it was pulled out for Kim and I. I have no idea why, but it was like, this will this, do. Thank you very much. So there was one night we came, and it turned out the people next to us, we were kind of like a little shy about, should we pray during meals? And by the... By the Several days into this, we're praying together. Turn out they're believers sitting next to us. And so we had this glorious fellowship with the people sitting next to us. And this one night, we're, we're looking at the Hubbard Glacier. So we're having supper looking at a glacier, which is pretty rare. But of course, there, there's a bunch of them. But we, it was the closest we got to a glacier on the ship. And I had shrimp cocktail as my starter, then had lobster and New York strip Cabernet, big glass of wine, and key lime pie for dessert. Looking at the Hubbard Glacier, and I said to the guy next to me, listen, I know it's a fallen world, but if an angel were to tap me on the shoulder right now and say, you're in heaven, I'd be tempted to believe him, you know? This is, this is pretty good right now. This is, praise God. But what you see in Alaska is you're reminded God takes care of all of, all of his creatures, and he has this glorious creation. And one night before we went to bed, we were at this uh, 
Airbnb, and Kim came and scared me. I'm in the bathroom. She, she taps me. She says, you're not going to believe this. There's a moose right outside our window, so our bedroom. So we go over there, and she had the window open, you know, and you're And moose are kind of, you know, they, they, they can kill you, you know. So we sneak around and we're looking. This moose had bedded down for the night. And there's a moose just less than 10 yards right outside of our window. And he's twitching his ears and looking like this, you know, like a puppy dog. And he's 10 yards from our window. God takes care of his creation. God is our maker. He made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that's in them. And then we see the future. The Lord will reign forever. And the rest of the verses, verses six through nine, is all of what he's doing in the present. And all total, there are 12 verbs. This is our God. He made heaven and earth. He keeps faith forever. He executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. He sets the prisoner free. He opens the eyes of the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. He loves the righteous, watches over the sojourner. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. He does all of these things in the present This is what he does now. And wouldn't it be amazing if God came in the flesh and actually gave food to people that were hungry, actually executed justice to people that were oppressed and like righted the scales and helped them and turned turn the world right side up? Wouldn't it be amazing if God came in the flesh and people that came down and bowed down before him, he actually lifted them up and restored them? Wouldn't it be amazing if, if God came in the flesh and actually went to people that had like, had like five husbands and were living with one that wasn't their husband now and actually came to people that were actually blind and actually opened their eyes and said, it's not their father or, or their, their parents who sinned or him, but, but that the works of God might be displayed? Can you imagine if God came in the flesh and actually did these things? Can you imagine that? You don't have to imagine because he did every one of these things. This is his, his calling card. And as, and as Tim Keller talks about, you know, we give people a business card and it says, you know, this is what we do. Well, God gives his calling card. His, his, his card is he's a defender of, of widows. He's the father of the fatherless. And it's always the quartet of the vulnerable as, as Nicholas Walterstorff calls the, the, the widows, the orphans, the fatherless, and the poor, the quartet of the vulnerable. How are the righteous described here? Oppressed, hungry, blind, bowed down, sojourners, fatherless, widow. Isn't it amazing? Because he, the idea is that the gods before our God would always identify with the strong and all the things that make you strong. And our God identifies with the weak. He comes for the weak, for the poor. Those who are poor enough this morning to admit their great need, who are humble enough to give all praise to him and not to themselves, who are humble enough to recognize, my life is fleeting. I'm just a breath, I'm just a vapor. But with all I've got, I'm putting the big rock in first. And I'm putting my money on the man of Nazareth. I'm giving all praise to him. Because look at our God. There's none like him, and he's going to reign forever. There's a resurrection that's true. And though we will die, this whole multiverse thing is, is kind of like, you know, fiction, but there is going to be a day where hearts will swell, and we will be reunited with loved ones and those who've gone before us, and all is well. But right now, 
Let's praise him with our life, with our being, with our song. Let's pray. Lord, we don't know what our life has for us, what you have ordained for us. Hard things, easy things, where we'll be recognized by the culture of the world or whether we'll just be obscure people, unnoticed. But we know that you identify as the God of Jacob, the defender of widows and those that are vulnerable. And you came to that widow, raised her son from the dead and restored her. You revealed yourself as the one who comes to set captives free, we who were slaves to sin and bent on self, bringing a grayness to the world all around us. Pray that we would be a happy people because our help and our hope is grounded in you and not in something that's fleeting. Give stability in the fear of the Lord and the stability of our times to us, your people. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.